Yeah, so uh, I've come this morning with uh, Deborah, my wife Deborah, and uh, son Samuel, and friends. And um, just to say, Deborah and I have been married for over 30 years, um, and we have four, four children all living uh, between Lausanne and Nyon. And uh, when I first met Deborah, um, we were both at the time already believers in Jesus, Deborah from a more traditional Jewish background. And uh, when, when uh, she asked me what I did for a living, uh, I replied that I was an accountant. And she burst out laughing. Couldn't imagine dating someone who was an accountant. So for many years, I have no longer been an accountant. <laughs> So this morning we're going to look at the life of Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew, and he's the third of the patriarchs of Israel, the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, and the father of 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob's father, Isaac, married at the age of 40. His wife, Rebekah, was probably no more than 20, probably in the late teens, as her twin sons, Esau and Jacob, were born 20 years later. By then, Isaac was 60. Isaac had prayed to God as his wife was barren. When Rebekah falls pregnant, she feels her twins jostling in her womb. She wonders what's going on, and she Ask God to explain, and he gives an extraordinary answer. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Genesis chapter 25. As the boys grow up, Esau becomes a skillful hunter, while Jacob is a quiet man staying at home. Their father, Isaac, has a taste for game and loves his hunter son, Esau, whilst Rebekah prefers stay-at-home Jacob. Later, Jacob persuades Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew, a famous story. Years later, Jacob tricks his father into granting him the firstborn's blessing, then flees to live with his uncle Laban before Esau can take revenge. On his journey, God appears to Jacob in a dream. And I think the sermon last week was based on this text. And God renews the covenant which he'd made with Abraham and repeated to Isaac. And I quote from Genesis chapter 28. I'm the Lord the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. All peoples will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Now Esau, like his father, married at 40. But instead of marrying someone from his own people, he married 
Hittite women, local pagan women, unbelievers who were a source of grief to his parents. And so Rebecca and Isaac were determined that Jacob should marry within the family. Isaac commanded Jacob to go to his mother's brother, his uncle Laban, and marry one of Laban's daughters. In other words, marry one of his cousins. A very Jewish thing to do. That's not in the Bible, that, by the way, that bit. <laughs> now, Laban lived over 400 miles from Beersheba, where Jacob and his family were based. He lived in Padan Aram, which today would be in northeastern Syria. And this was the region where Jacob's grandfather, Abram, had lived before settling in Canaan. And I say this by way of preamble to the reading, which is now from Genesis chapter 29. Morning. We'll be reading from Genesis 29, 1 to 30. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Naor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not the time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that you, I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, 
and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve, you, did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Thank you. So we've now heard that Jacob, the uh, deceiver, is himself deceived by his uncle Laban. Jacob has met his match in trickery. Just as Jacob tricked his father by posing as Esau uh, earlier, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah rather than Rachel. Now, I'm not going to go into how that night actually happened. Uh, Laban then allows Jacob to marry Rachel in exchange for another seven years of service. So finally, after 20 years with Uncle Laban, Jacob has 12 sons, six from Leah, four from his wife's two maidservants, and finally, Rachel produces two sons of her own. But let's look at the character of Jacob. What was he like? What do we glean from this passage and the passages around? His father had ordered him to go to Padan Aram in Syria, and he went. In chapter 28, just before the reading, Isaac blessed Jacob and commanded him, don't marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. And Jacob is faithful to the first of God's Ten Commandments with a promise. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land your Lord, your God is giving to you. So Jacob was an obedient son. Secondly, he was diligent. He was hardworking. He traveled 400 miles, a long and dangerous journey in those days. He didn't look for the easy option in finding a wife, and he didn't go to find a local wife like his brother Esau had done. He worked for Laban altogether for over 20 years, seven years before uh, marrying Leah and Rachel, as we were told at the beginning, seven more years to honor his father-in-law's condition, and then another six years working for his father-in-law before returning to Canaan. So he was a hard-working, diligent, obedient son. He was brave. 
On his journey to his uncle Laban, Jabin, uh, Laban would have, uh, sorry, Jacob would have risked robbery, kidnapping, murder. Some of the events that were to befall his beloved son Joseph many years later. Jacob was also in danger from attacks from wild animals. In those days, both lions and bears were at large in Israel. Years later, when a shepherd boy called David appealed to a skeptical King Saul to allow him to take on the Philistine Goliath in single combat, David had to convince Saul to allow him to do so, saying, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. But what makes Jacob even braver is that he wasn't the outdoor courageous chap by nature. He was a stay-at-home mummy's boy who hung around the tents with the women and the children, and he left his brother to do the hunting. Jacob's courage was not the absence of fear, but a willingness to do the right thing despite his fear. He was also patient. Uh, he was 40 when he set off to Rachel's family. His brother Esau was just married. He was getting on, yet he waited seven years for Rachel. And I did wonder, why on earth did he offer to wait seven years? Maybe he could have offered one year. I'll come back to that. But he was patient, he was honest. He worked for those seven additional years to marry, uh, for marrying Rachel in order to honor a promise he'd made to his father-in-law, a condition laid down by his father-in-law. He could have run off at any time, but he honored the condition. He was also someone who was self-controlled. He fell in love with Rachel, we read, as soon as he saw her at the well. And yet he was willing to wait seven years. They didn't have a hidden, uh, covert relationship. They didn't live together beforehand. He waited for seven years. And in contrast, his twin brother Esau lacked self-control, is impatient, is lazy. He sold his birthright for peanuts, well, literally for lentils, because he's famished and he can't wait. He then hears his parents lamenting his choice of pagan wives, he has several, and exhorting Jacob to find a wife from their own people. So what does Esau do? He immediately finds a new wife. But who does he marry? One of Ishmael's daughters, one of Uncle Ishmael's daughters. Okay, Ishmael, like Laban, is family, but which family? Ishmael was the consequence of Abraham and Sarah's disobedience and lack of faith. The son of Sarah's slave servant, Hagar, an Egyptian woman, a woman who despised Sarah and was banished from the family. And regarding Ishmael, God had predicted, and I quote from chapter 16, that Ishmael's hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. 
So it was maybe an easy option for Esau to marry a daughter of Ishmael. He didn't have to travel 400 miles in dangerous country, but it was not a smart choice, especially if he wanted to please his parents. So what lessons are there for us from the life of Jacob? One is obedience. Be obedient to the Lord. The Apostle Paul speaks of the obedience that comes from faith, through faith. Our faith, our trust in God's love for us should lead us to obeying him willingly. And conversely, our faith in God will dim through lack of obedience. And specifically related to this passage, we are exhorted to seek a believing spouse. We are not to be unequally yoked. Also, we see from the passage that it's quite okay in God's eyes to be proactive in seeking a spouse. But there's also a warning that we shouldn't marry for the sake of marrying as marriage is not easy. At least that's what Deborah says. <laughs> and don't go for the easy option as Esau did. Another lesson for us is to be diligent. The Apostle Paul says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And he continues by saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as serving the Lord. And Jacob was certainly diligent in working for his father-in-law for 20 years. And Laban recognized that he'd been blessed with enormous wealth thanks to Jacob. Another lesson for us is to be patient in a society which today promotes instant gratification, let's remember patience, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart and wait for the Lord. We're also encouraged to be courageous. Now that doesn't mean that we need to fight lions and bears. But maybe we need to be brave in challenging cultural norms. Jacob did so when he rolled that stone away to water Rachel's sheep. It was not the done thing. We find it hard to understand why, but it wasn't the done thing, but it was the right thing to do. And maybe we need to stand up more for the right thing, for God, for godly values. A quote I like, which is uh, attributed wrongly to Abraham Lincoln, is perhaps very pertinent for us. To sin by silence when we should speak makes cowards of men. We as believers, as Christians, we should speak up for what is true and what is right. Jacob was brave in stepping out in faith, and venturing to Padan Aram. And in his faithfulness and his courage, God met him in the dream. 
that you had or you had read to you last week. And he reassured Jacob that he would return safely. Often as we step out in faith for God, God reaches out to us. Another lesson is that God is wanting to change us for the better. I've given Jacob a glowing character reference, but he hadn't always exhibited those qualities. Jacob's name is derived from the Hebrew word la'akov, which means to follow, and its derivative akev, which means heal. He was given the name because he followed his twin brother Esau out of his mother's womb by grasping his heel. And Jacob really was a heel. You know the expression? If you don't, if someone is a heel, he's a, a rogue, a, a no-goodnik, a troublemaker. I'd like to think that the origin of the expression heel is based on the life of Jacob, but in fact, it's an early 20th century American expression, according to Wikipedia. Also, the word deceit, deceiver, has the same root as Yaakov, as Jacob. And that's what Jacob was, a wily manipulator and deceiver who used trickery to get his own way. When Esau is told by his father that he's been tricked into bestowing the blessing of the firstborn on his younger son, Esau burst out with a loud and bitter cry, we read, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's deceived me twice. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. The first deception is told in chapter 25. Jacob famously obtains Esau's birthright for a plate of lentil stew. He took advantage of Esau's uncontrolled appetite his inability to wait in order to snatch his brother's inheritance. Jacob exploited Esau's weakness for his own gain, hardly what a loving brother would do looking out for his brother's best interests. The second famous deception occurs a couple of chapters later. Pushed by his mother, Jacob lies to his old and blind father, pretending to be Esau, obtains the blessing which Isaac had reserved for Esau. So what do we learn about the character of God in this story, these rather unusual stories? Firstly, we learn that God is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes. His purpose, firstly, is to keep his promise given to Abraham, repeated to Isaac, and now to Jacob to form a nation, to give them a land, to prosper them, and then through them to bless the whole world. We read in Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Possibly familiar words to some, but these were the words of a pagan prophet called Balaam. His reply given when someone against Israel who wanted the annihilation of Israel, a king called Balak, called on Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam was unable to do so. God keeps his promises. 
And yet Jacob's wife, Rachel, is barren. So too was his mother, Rebekah. So too was his grandmother, Sarah. God chooses to fulfill his promises in his chosen way, not by human effort. Each wife is unable to conceive. God wants us to see that he has his plans, he's in charge, and he is the God for whom nothing is impossible. Obstacles are an opportunity to see the, the glory, the power, the might of God. When Jesus' disciples see a man born blind, they immediately focus on the problem. They ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus focuses on the solution, on the purpose of God, on the goodness of God. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God could be displayed in his life. God is sovereign. He is a good God who has called us to accomplish his purposes. Secondly, he has regard for the lowly, those who depend on him, who trust on him. God opposes the proud, we read, but gives grace to the humble. Leah felt unloved and prayed to God. He answered by granting her six sons in all. Rachel herself was barren. Her own attempts at manipulating the birth of a son failed. In a later episode that comes in the chapter after the reading, Rachel begs Leah to give her some mandrakes, which Leah's son Reuben had picked for his mother. Uh, mandrakes were thought to enhance fertility. Rachel grants her elder sister a night with Jacob in exchange for the mandrakes. And ironically, Leah is the one to fall pregnant, not because of the mandrakes. You won't be surprised to hear. In fact, Leah bears two more sons, and Rachel still remains barren. But later, God in his mercy grants Rachel her long-desired son. So we read in chapter 30, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. And so Joseph was born, but only at the time determined by God. A third aspect of God's character is that he uses improbable and imperfect people. There are some attempts by the rabbis to brush over Jacob's imperfections. But the story is reassuring. He uses imperfect people like us. He uses improbable people like us. God has called and chosen us. We are a new creation in Christ. Born anew, born again. Yet we remain imperfect and yet God still uses us. Even Jacob, a changed man after 20 years with Laban, is still an imperfect man. When he finally leaves Laban, we read in chapter 31, Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. In fact, God had told him to leave. Go back to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. But he lacked the courage to tell Laban for fear that Laban would again prevent him from leaving 
or that Laban's sons would harm him. He still had his weaknesses and still did not fully trust God's promises. Earlier, I wondered why Jacob had offered to serve Laban for seven years in exchange for Rachel's hand. Why not one year? Well, maybe because Jacob knew that his request was improper. It was not proper to ask for the hand of the younger daughter before the elder was married in the culture of the day. As his father-in-law had pointed out, maybe he thought that seven years would leave enough time for the eldest to be married off so that he could marry the younger. And Jacob suffers the consequences of his compromise. Laban colludes with an improper request by offering an improper acceptance. And as a result, Jacob is married to someone he doesn't love and causes suffering to a woman who knows she is unloved. And yet, God, in his mercy, calls and chooses us. It is well to remember that God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, the Messiah died for us. God has a purpose for our lives. He is the creator. He's the initiator. This is love, we read in the New Testament, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And I conclude with Jesus' words to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. So let me pray in closing.